Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this worship service coming to you from Germantown Presbyterian Church. Welcome one and all who are worshiping with us online this morning. We're certainly glad that so many people can plug in and can join in from all different locations, wherever you may be, on this first Sunday of the new year. Happy New Year and welcome to worship everybody this morning. We're so grateful if you are worshiping with us online. You can find the bulletin um, on the page where you um, go to watch the service. There's a little tab that says Download PDF. And if you go to that page, you can find the bulletin. It's not um, on the page where it, where it often is um, on the website that says Sunday Materials. It's not there this morning, but it is on the page where you push play to watch this actual uh, worship service. So if you can, please do go and hit the tab that says Download PDF and find this morning's bulletin. And I invite you to worship with us and to follow along throughout the whole service. And so again, good morning and welcome to everybody who is watching this service this morning. It is the first Sunday of the month as well as the first Sunday of the year. And we celebrate communion here at GPC on the first Sunday of each month. And so We'll do that in uh, just a few minutes toward the second half of our worship service. So if you have communion elements ready, then um, thank you for that. If you don't have them ready yet, then you can go and uh, find uh, a grape juice or a wine and uh, bread. Um, or as, as we're using here in our sanctuary, we're using uh, small crackers and so uh, a bread-like substance and, uh, and, and wine or grape juice and celebrate communion with us this morning. And if you don't have those elements that's perfectly all right. You can join in and be blessed by the words of the liturgy uh, as you celebrate uh, communion in your mind with us as we celebrate uh, the sacrament this morning. So please do um, celebrate communion with us in just a few minutes. Come back this evening, virtually, come back this evening uh, online at 6 p.m. for our evening worship service. They will have that service uh, as well this evening at 6 o'clock, new start time, 30 minutes earlier. But come back at 6 o'clock for the, uh, the evening service, and we look forward to as many people joining us in that as they can. A few uh, announcements for us just very quickly. Um, one is that we want to um, uh, just update everybody on our C Christmas Eve offering. Um, GPC was extremely generous and uh, donated just over $12,000 to our Christmas Eve offering. Now, that is actually extraordinary because there was no congregation here. So that means that many people went online or, or mailed in a check to this Christmas Eve offering. We've been doing this challenge now for several years. That money will go to Binghamton Christian Academy and to the Rising Together Foundation. We'll split that right down the middle for that. But thank you, everybody, who donated to the Christmas Eve offering challenge. Uh, well done especially uh, at a time when we had no congregation present. Which leads me to our next announcement, and that is a reminder that we are worshiping virtually only. We are worshiping online only for the next uh, several weeks through at least January 17th. We are abiding by the uh, health, county health department guidelines and by the governor's office and by other medical experts as we together combat this COVID pandemic and as together we move forward. We know there's light at the end of the tunnel, and that light is uh, coming and dawning on us ever more every day. And we're going to get there, but until we get there, we're going to worship virtually, worship online only for the next uh, three Sundays, certainly, next two Sundays, certainly, and maybe perhaps after that as well. But thank you. There are meetings that can take place at GPC. We're abiding by the 10 or fewer rule. So we're um, going to uh, ask people if they have meetings, if they have groups that gather, that's fine, but we'll abide by that uh, desire and that guideline as well. If you, have, if you have any confusion on this or any questions, please do call the church office. You can call one of the pastors. We'd be happy to talk to you about this as well. A few extra words of gratitude. Let me just take a moment here to express deep gratitude to two people in particular, because this is their last, uh, technically their last day, their last Sunday with us uh, on staff, so to speak. And those, go, those are about two people who stepped into an interim capacity 
to guide us and to guide our programming over the last six months. And the first of those is Helen Warren, who stepped in to lead our special needs ministry after Monica Kirby retired. We were so concerned, we were so worried about would there be a drop-off after Monica's retirement? And would there be um, a, a lag in participation, especially during COVID? And Helen stepped in did a magnificent job, um, just stepped in and not only kept the program going, but also increased participation, especially among those um, in our online participation for the various groups that we had. And so uh, we never missed a beat, and our special needs ministry kept on going throughout the entire um, summer and into the fall and into the winter. And so as Jackie Classen, our new director of special needs, starts tomorrow, we are so grateful to Helen, and we want our congregation to know what an excellent job she did stepping in as an interim for our special needs director, as did, in another capacity, Aaron Bowden. Aaron Bowden stepped in after Amanda Mackey's departure, and um, Aaron stepped in to lead our youth ministry program on an interim basis, again, through the summer and through the fall, and we're, all, we're grateful for all that Aaron did. We have this great team of people who work with our youth Erin's been working with our youth for several years now, so she was a natural to step in and to guide us and to continue that program through the fall, again, under amazingly difficult circumstances, but to continue that program. And so to Erin, we say a heartfelt word of gratitude as well, and also to Helen. Thank you on behalf of the whole GPC congregation. Thank you, Helen and Erin. And that leads me to our next, uh, to our next um, moment of joy, and that is we do have two new staff members starting tomorrow. We do have Jackie Classen starting in our special needs director programming area, and then we also have Christopher Greco, who begins tomorrow as our new youth director. And can you imagine a more difficult time to start when you need groups and excitement and energy and people all together can you imagine a more difficult time to start than during the middle of a pandemic shutdown? But that will not deter us one bit, and we'll welcome Jackie, Jackie and we'll welcome Christopher. We are so grateful for who they are and that they have come to join our staff, and I look forward to everybody getting to know them as much as uh, I have and as much as many in our church have as well. And so we're grateful for that. Please welcome them in your own way, and we look forward to when we can have a uh, big group gatherings and welcome them in a more public way, but welcome Jackie and Christopher. Friends, last but not least, let me, let, let me tell you about the death of Mac Pepper. Walter Mac, Mackie Pepper, died uh, two days ago, and he was a member of this church uh, since 2011, but a worshiper with us um, and a good friend to many in our congregation um, for the last several years, and so we are saddened by his death. There will be a service this coming Wednesday at the uh, Memphis Funeral Home on Poplar, and that will be at 10 o'clock in the morning. But please do pray for uh, Mac's family, pray for his friends as well in this congregation and beyond, and I know that you will lift up his whole family in prayer as we celebrate the life of Mac Pepper. Those are all of our announcements. Now let us prepare our hearts and minds to worship God. Please stand and join me in our call to worship. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time on and forevermore. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. Let us worship the Lord, our God forever and ever. The mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. 
The God whom we worship knows us well, and if we say we have no sin, then we deceive only ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But our God is also quick to forgive us. So out of our need for grace, let us confess our sin together. Holy God, your mercy is from everlasting to everlasting, and your goodness lasts from generation to generation. We appeal to your mercy as we begin this new year. Forgive us our sins of the past, and do not hold our moral mistakes against us, we pray. We long for a refreshing new start, and we thank you for offering us grace in Jesus Christ. In his name, we have new life, new hope, and new vision. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. Friends, we know that through the cross of Christ, we have reconciliation with God. In his name, I declare to you that you are forgiven. Be at peace. Amen. Friends, at this time in our worship service, we greet one another, usually under normal circumstances, with a handshake or a hug, certainly with a, a smile on our faces as we love each other in Jesus Christ. This morning, I invite you to greet those who are around you in worship and wish them Christ's peace, and then also think about those who normally sit near you. Think about those whose faces you haven't seen perhaps in a while, and, uh, and pray for them and call them. Write them a note. Express your love to them in, in some other way from how we normally do it, but extend to them on this day and on this new year Christ's peace. Thank you. Let us pray. We pray for your inspiration now, O Lord, for this moment and for these days and indeed for our lifetimes. We live because you love us, O God, and in these scriptures we pray that you would reveal that love in a new and in a renewing way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our first lesson comes from the book of Proverbs, this great book in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 8, the personification of wisdom. This is one of the most intriguing and important chapters, not just in Proverbs, but in late Jewish writing, in um, all of late Jewish theology. This reading, this particular section is one of three where the wisdom of God is personified for people to, to hear and to see in their mind's eye. And so from Proverbs 8... Verses 12 and 13, and it's a longer section, so I'll skip after verse 13 to uh, verse 22. Proverbs 8. I, wisdom, live with prudence, and I attain knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, says the Lord. Verse 22. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts, long ago. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills 
I was brought forth when he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the skies from above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was his daily delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. And from the Gospel of John, these powerful words, these amazing words that John wrote in chapter 1 as he started his gospel, started to write about who Jesus is. John wrote these words, John 1, 10 through 18. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Early on, during our recent quarantine with COVID, a neighbor texted me and said, you caught this on purpose, didn't you? I know you did. The girls, of course, stayed in Memphis, and we removed ourselves to the 1948 farm cabin in Nesbitt that my grandparents built, and we hunkered down there with the dog and all the groceries that we could grab from the house on our way out of town on the 17th of December. My neighbor followed up his first text with another, and he said, let me get this straight. You will miss the busiest time of the year for a minister. Go with your wife and dog to the farm during what happens to be the most prime deer hunting time of the year and stay away from all of the craziness at Christmas. I think you planned this. He found me out. (laughs) Dang. No, actually quite the opposite, quite the opposite. If you had to design a worse time for a minister to get COVID and be diagnosed, you'd have a harder time than finding December the 17th of any year. I said to myself in October, really back even in September, I said to myself and to our church staff, whatever else COVID does to the world, whatever else it does to the economy, to the social elements all around us, to sports, to family gatherings, whatever else happens, I want Christmas at GPC in 2020 to be perfect, to be perfect. I'm going to pour myself into Christmas services. We're to make Christmas this year unforgettable, totally memorable. In fact, you can do this. You can go up to the hits of the ages Sunday school classroom even today. You can go up there and you can see the notes that our musical staff and our program staff wrote on that board back in September because we started planning Christmas and what we would do, COVID and all. We started planning all of this back in September. And as the months wore on, we said to ourselves, we want Christmas to be perfect, to be phenomenal, COVID and all. And then came December 17th and all the positive diagnoses for Susan and me and all of my plans for the perfect Christmas Away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But then, then steps in the most amazing colleagues and friends who did a phenomenal job 
leading worship and telling the story of Jesus' birth. Susie and Tom and Gerald and Alex and so many others, our volunteers in the sound booth, so many other people pivoted and then pivoted again and then pivoted again and then pivoted again, trying their very best to do everything they could with such short notice to create, and they did, actually create a better Christmas for GPC and for me personally watching online than we ever would have had otherwise. What a gift those four people are to GPC and to me personally. Thank you. Thank you, by the way, all the way, all for everybody, for all the kind emails and cards and notes and texts that I received from everybody who were praying for us and wishing the very best for us to get over COVID as soon as possible, which we did. We got over those COVID cooties with just a few lingering things remaining, but we're blessed and we know it. One of the most, uh, one of the biggest blessings for me during quarantine, a blessing was the gift of reading, the time just to read. And we, of course, watched church and we did <coughs> watched a few movies as well, but I read some books that have been on the stack for a while to read. Most books I've noticed nowadays, most books all have a prologue to them. And this prologue, whether it's a novel or a biography or anything, this prologue is going to set the stage for what comes next. The prologue isn't part of the action, but it's part of the backstory. It's an important part of the story that the story itself and the action and the dialogue doesn't make it much sense if you don't have the prologue. Without the prologue, you can still have the story, but the story doesn't nearly make as much sense without the prologue. John, the gospel writer. John, the gospel writer, was one of the first of the ancient writers to use a prologue. That's what the first 18 verses of his gospel are. Of course, we know there's much more to the story. There's the story of Jesus' words, his actions, his miracles. There's the story of Jesus' dialogue, his interaction with all of those people. But the prologue, the prologue is so important to understanding the whole gospel of John. It's so important that New Testament scholars have, in fact, have a name for those first 18 verses of John. They call them the prologue to John. Amazingly enough, there it is. They talk about how this background information is essential to understanding the gospel. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, put yourself in John's place. Imagine you are John, and you have committed yourself to undertaking this enormous task. You're going to write a biography of Jesus. Now, if you were John, <coughs> then you likely, you, you live in the city of Ephesus on the far west coast of Turkey. And as you're there in Ephesus with John, if you're John writing this gospel, then you know that Ephesus has become one of the major hubs of Christianity in the late first century. It spread from Jerusalem up to Antioch, over across to places like Ephesus and Rome. And Ephesus is this great faith, and intellectual capital in the ancient world, including for Christianity. And everybody around John is asking, who, who is he? Who was he? What was he like? So John is going to write a gospel. He's going to answer this question, who is Jesus? All these memories and stories and, and dialogue and miracles woven together to tell Jesus' story. Now, the problem for John, the problem for John, it's also a blessing, but it's a, it's a problem in the beginning. The problem is his audience. It's the people in the Ephesian church. These new Christians, some of them brand new, some people have been Christian for a couple of years, some people thinking about becoming Christians, want to know who Jesus is. Some people have been Christians for maybe a decade, but they still haven't heard all of the stories and all of the miracles of Jesus. They want to know who Jesus is. The problem is they are so different. These people, mainly in two ways, their backgrounds are so phenomenally different. Now, it's hard for us to imagine in our day and age, but these two people, these two groups in the Ephesian church come from two different mindsets, two different ways of growing up, different ways of learning and thinking, different ways of seeing the world. They are different by nature and by nurture. By nature, I mean their, their DNA, their ethnicity, their biological ingredients that make them who they are. They are different by nature. They're different by nurture. 
meaning their sociological factors, the environments in which they grew up, their background, their family, their culture, their traditions. Some things are hardwired into us. Other parts of us are tied to outside factors that come into us from those who help us grow up. But here's the key for John. Here's the key for John, and this is what he wants to communicate, that Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is for everybody, no matter when they live, no matter where they live, no matter who they are, no matter their identity, no matter their, what their DNA designs for them without their choosing, no matter your family background or your culture, traditions, or whatever your religion is, or no religion is, whatever all those wonderful and diverse things may say about who you are, no matter what your nature is or your nurture is, Jesus and His saving grace is for you. That is what John wants to communicate. He is for every person. Jesus is for every person who has ever lived, no matter when and where. Jesus is the mediator between God and humanity. He represents all of God to humanity. He represents all of humanity before God. Jesus had his own human nurturing and background and ethnicity, but his human nature is above them all. And he identifies with everybody in the world. So John has to deal with this. He knows that he does. He has to deal with this first as a writer before he can plunge into and tell the story of Jesus. The reason why John's gospel is so important for us in our faith is that he is the only gospel writer who does this. He's the only gospel writer who gives this long prologue about Jesus' identity before he starts to tell the story. He sets this scene before Jesus emerges on the scene. So in Ephesus, where John lives and writes, the people in that church there, in Ephesus we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, or primarily Greeks, people of a Greek-speaking and Greek culture background. These are the two people groups that have different mindsets and different ways of seeing the world. The Jewish way is Middle Eastern. The Greek way is Western, pre-European. Different people, different backgrounds, different geographic origins, different intellectual histories, different ways of seeing the world, different ways in which their minds are formed by their culture and heritage, different ways, Western, pre-European Greeks on the one hand and Middle Eastern Jews on the other. But John is writing that Jesus is for everybody. He's for everybody. So what John wants to do is explain to these two dominant ways of thinking, these two diverse intellectual groups with different ways of thinking and seeing the world. John wants to describe who Jesus is and that Jesus is universally for everybody, no matter what. He's for everybody, no matter what your background is. So, for a few minutes more, let's get philosophically Jewish and philosophically Greek in order to portray who Jesus is according to John. John starts talking about the Logos, the Word of God. That's what this prologue is all about from the start. You go back to verse 1, verse one in the beginning was the Word. John starts talking about the Word of God, and any reader, Jew or Greek, would immediately have said, oh, oh, I know what that is. I understand what the Logos, the Word, is. If the reader was Jewish, he or she would instantly go back to Genesis. And all of those great passages at the very beginning, when in the beginning God said, and God's Word, God's words, God's speaking formed creation into being. God said, let there be light. God spoke and said, let the land be separated from, let the waters be separated from the waters and let land appear. And there was land and vegetation and there was fish. And God spoke. And God said these words, let us create humanity in our image, in the image of of God, in the image and likeness of God, male and female, let them live. God's Word is this creative, powerful force right there in the beginning of Genesis. And then it continues all the way through the Old Testament. God's Word appears throughout the Old Testament. By God's Word, says Psalm 33, the heavens were made. 
God sent out his word and healed them, says another psalm. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, God says in Isaiah 55. My word will not return to me empty. It shall accomplish the purpose and succeed in the thing for which I send it. The word of God is this powerful agent in the Old Testament. And then there is this very unique place in the wisdom literature of ancient Judaism, in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, where God's creative word is paired with the wisdom of God, the guiding light of God, the ethical light of God, the wisdom of God, and the word of God come together in three primary sections, one of which we just read from Proverbs, three sections there mainly in Proverbs, the wisdom of God is personified as this life-giving force that has delighted in creation since the very beginning. God's wisdom is an agent and a co-worker with God. Wisdom is a light that gives direction and meaning to life. For faithful Jews, the wisdom and the Word of God come together as a life-giving force of God at work in the world. So when an ancient Jew heard the word, word, logos, they knew immediately the creative wisdom and power of God. Now, on the other hand, if you were Greek, if you were Greek, raised as a Gentile Greek, when you heard the word, word, or logos in Greek, you think of all kinds of things. For those in Ephesus in particular, there was an ancient philosopher named Heraclitus who lived around 560 B.C. in Ephesus. And he taught that the Logos of God, the Word of God, was an eternal concept that gave order to the world. Again, his sort of pre-Western Greek philosophical way of thinking, he said that the world is always in chaos. The world is always changing Time makes everything in flux and changing. If it were not for the Logos, the Word, then everything would be chaos. It is the Word of God, he said, the Logos, that makes things orderly. Now, he wasn't thinking of the Old Testament God. He wasn't thinking of of God as we know God. He was, again, thinking in in his um, ancient Greek philosophical way. They still believed in divinity and in divine concepts. So he talked about the Logos of God. He said this, he said, what, what allows us to know the difference between right and wrong, to know and recognize truth when we see it? The Word of God. Heraclitus's teachings then gave birth to Stoic philosophers, which led to then other schools of great Greek thought. The Stoics said, what keeps the stars in the sky? What makes the tide ebb and flow? What makes the day and night come in unalterable order? All things, they said, are controlled by the Logos of God. Again, from the Stoics to other Greeks, other philosophers like Plato, Plato described the Word of God as love. Love guides us to the Logos, said Plato. So do you see what's happening here? Can you see what's happening for John and for all of those Christians in Ephesus. John is able to get inside the minds of anybody who hears him. He's able to to appeal to the ways in which all people around him then, all people thought, whether they were Jewish or whether they were Greek. However they saw the world, the word meant different things to different people, and John brings them all together to say, this is Jesus. This is this Christ. This is the Messiah. Jesus is the eternal wisdom of God. Jesus is the creative power of God. Jesus is the one in whom all creation binds together. Jesus is the one who holds everything together from descending into chaos. Jesus is the one who gives meaning and purpose to life. Jesus is the glory, the grace, and the truth of Almighty God. Jesus is the Word that has become flesh and has lived among us. The glory of God in a human life full of grace and truth. This is who Jesus is now and always. My dear Christian friends, as you begin a new year, as we begin another journey around the sun together, may you, and by you I mean whoever you are, whatever your nature and or nurture may be, whoever you are as a human being, whatever your DNA background may be, all 
of us who are human beings together. Whatever it is about your culture, traditions, religions, or no religion at all, perhaps for some of you, all of these malleable things about your identity, whatever they may be, know that Jesus Christ is for you no matter what. God sent His Son into the world for you and for me and for all of us. May you in your whole self, your whole life, your family, your work, may you in this year of 2021 fall in love again or for the first time with the Son of God in human form, Jesus Christ. The Word of God is for you always and forever, no matter what. Amen. My brothers and sisters, just as the Magi brought gifts to the Christ child, let us bring our gifts and our very selves too through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. I invite you to go to the giving tab on the GPC website and there you can find various ways that you can give of your gifts and we can give together with great joy and generosity. Let us give now.
Scripture tells us that people will come from east and west and north and south and sit at table together in the kingdom of God. My sisters and brothers, we are doing just that as we come to this table this morning. For we are gathering from all around, from no matter where you are, we are gathered together because it is Christ our Lord who unites us here at this table as we partake together in the Lord's Supper. I invite you now to gather your ordinary elements of bread and wine or juice. And if you don't have these elements together this morning, then just receive the blessings that will come your way during this time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is God's gift of grace to us. It is God's means of grace to us, and it is God's beckoning call to us to respond to God's grace. So let us now turn to God in prayer. We rejoice in you, O God. All the earth rejoices and sings glory to your name. As Christ's beauty shines forth, we praise your great salvation and celebrate the merciful love that reconciles us to you. So as we do now in this place what you did in an upstairs room, send down your Holy Spirit upon us. And with these, your gifts of bread and wine, may we experience your healing and forgiveness. May we experience wholeness with you. As this bread is Christ's body for us, we pray that we may be the body of Christ in the world, sharing Christ's mercy, forgiveness, kindness, and compassion with everyone we meet each day. As the new year dawns around us, we strive to follow as Jesus calls us to, beginning now. And so we bring to you, Almighty God, our prayers for the well-being of your world and all of its inhabitants. We pray for the healing of the planet, the preservation of its beauty, the balance of nature, the lives of the creatures whose very being sing your praises. As Christ calls us into renewed discipleship and engagement in the body of Christ, the church, we pray for the needs of your people leaders of nations, states, and communities, leaders of hospitals, schools, businesses, and churches. May each one prayerfully seek your wisdom and guidance before they speak and act, so that those who depend on them will know that you alone lead and guide them. We pray for frontline workers of this pandemic, those who are in a part of the environmental cleaning crews, those who are chaplains and administrators, nurses and doctors. May we do our part, respecting their exhausting work by doing all we can to stay healthy and safe during this very difficult time. We pray for parents, teachers, and students as this new semester unfolds with its own new challenges. We pray for your church, Universal, and this family of faith specifically, for its leaders, the laity, the staff, and the pastors. We pray for those who are sick, those who've been exposed to this this virus, those who have other maladies and await elective surgeries, those who are isolated and alone. We pray, too, for those in need of the basic necessities of human life, warm shelter, clean water, and food to eat. For all of these, Almighty God, we ask your blessings upon them, your blessings of strength and wisdom and resilience and perseverance, your blessings of healing and hope. 
May they know your presence going before them, being beside them, being behind them, above them, all around and within them. Keep watch, O Holy One, and teach us to lift up the voices of those long silenced and to work for justice, righteousness, equity, equality, and lasting peace for people everywhere in this new year. And as we begin again, as we reset our lives and re-engage in the work of ministry you set before us, we pray for your courage and strength to abide with us and your blessings to be upon our families, our friends, and even us too, holy God. Through Christ, our glory and honor are yours, almighty God, with the Holy Spirit now and forevermore. And now, with both humility and boldness, we pray together the very prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples. And during that meal, Jesus took the bread. Jesus gave thanks to God for the bread, and then he broke open the bread and said to his disciples, This is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. My friends, Every time that we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim our Lord and Savior's saving death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us now partake of the Lord's Supper together. let us turn to God in prayer. Almighty God, in gratitude, in deep gratitude for this moment, this time when we are gathered together in time and in space, united by your love, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and we give ourselves to you. Transform us into the people you call us to be because we have shared the living bread and we cannot remain the same. Ask much of us in this new year, expect much from us, enable much by us, encourage many through us. Make us strong in our Lord's service so that we may follow him faithfully wherever he leads. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we pray, saying, Amen.
Dear friends, to go out now into the world, out into this new year and into this day. Go out to love and serve the Lord and go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the grace of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen. Thank you.